the beginning of this month, I started a new sermon series on the New Testament letter to the Romans, and we've spent the last two weeks looking at the Apostle Paul's introductory remarks in the letter. Kind of, hi, this is who I am, haven't seen you yet, I look forward to coming to see you, here's kind of what I'm about. And we're about to get into really the meat of the letter, that Romans is in a lot of ways a meaty, substantive letter, that there's not a lot of personal touches and, except for at the very beginning and the very end. The middle is a sustained discussion on what the gospel is and how that shapes how we should live. And so if it's all about the gospel, we should probably figure out, well, what is the gospel? That the gospel is one of those words that we say in church and we sometimes know what we mean by it and sometimes we don't. It's a churchy word. And so what is the gospel? Well, gospel, before it was a churchy word, it was a word used in the Roman Empire. That gospel simply means good news. And the gospel used to mean good news from the battlefield. And so when Caesar would send the army out to some far-off place in the empire and they would defeat who they thought were the bad guys out there, they would send someone riding back into Rome with the message, hopefully good news. Hey, we won the battle. That is good news. That the gospel was good news about something that happened that had implications for you. So if the army was victorious, that had the implication of, we won. If the army lost, that's bad news with bad implications. And so the gospel in Christianity is also good news of something that happened that has implications for us. And that something that happened is Jesus. That God the Father sent His Son Jesus to earth. He came as an infant and He lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And then He died a sacrificial death in our place for us on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And then He rose from the dead, vindicated in that sacrifice, victorious over our greatest enemies of sin and death with the implication that He has won our victory. And if we repent of our sin and believe in Jesus, we share in all of the blessings of His victory. And so that's the Gospel. The Gospel is the good news that something happened with Jesus that has implications for us. And before Paul even starts talking about all there is to say about it, He says he is unashamed of the gospel. It's the very first thing. In fact, it's kind of the theme of the letter, the main idea that he is unashamed of this good news. Now, by the very fact that he said he is unashamed, it implies there are reasons we might be ashamed of the gospel. And so Paul, in these two verses that we're looking at today gives us four reasons why we should not 
be ashamed of the gospel. Four reasons that we should be unashamed of that good news. So I'd encourage you, if you want to open up your Bibles or look in the bulletin at our text, it is quite short today. I promise you we will make up for it next week. Um, It is only two verses. Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Let us hear the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, O God, do speak to us, that you have preserved your word through the generations, that your spirit still works through your word today and even through imperfect, sinful messengers like me. And so, God, I pray that your word would go forth today in the power of your spirit and it would accomplish your purposes today, even through me. And that you, O God, would give us ears to hear and open hearts and minds and that your word might work in us, enlightening our minds and shaping our hearts so that we trust in Jesus more and delight to follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So really, as we're looking at our text today, the the big question that should be on our minds is why should we be unashamed of the gospel? Why should we not be embarrassed by the good news of Jesus? And I want us to see these four reasons Paul gives us why we should not be embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel. The first reason Paul gives is that the gospel is the power of God. That is almost word for word what it says in verse 16. He writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Now, it might strike us as odd that this message, this good news, is the power of God. Because in the Old Testament, when you think about the power of God, you think about the plagues of Egypt or the parting of the Red Sea. Like, that is power. Or you might think about the book of Joshua and the crumbling of the walls of Jericho. Or think about someone like Samson with superpower strength like that. That that is the power of God. We want something impressive and obvious to be the power of God. That is usually the kind of power we desire. The power from God to heal the sick, to conquer our enemies, to affect good change in the world. And yet Paul tells us, The gospel is the power of God. That the message about Jesus, that is the power of God. This is why each week when we gather for worship, our service is shaped by the gospel. If the gospel has power, then we need to see that power, to use that power, to let God's power shine through. And so we come and we worship a holy and good God who created us. 
But we also must confess that we are sinners who have sinned against Him. And yet, then we hear the good news of an assurance of pardon that Christ, through His life, death, and resurrection, has reconciled us to God. And so now we hear the Word of God each week, not as people crushed by a burden, but overjoyed that there is good news and instruction on how we follow those tracks as gospel-fueled people. And so we don't gather each week because... I really want to preach to you or because you really want to hear me talk. We gather because we need to hear the word of God and the good news of God, for it is the power of God. But that's not usually how we act. That's not usually our functional belief day to day. That we don't always think the gospel, the good news, is powerful enough to work in and through people. Sometimes the gospel needs a boost of our own power or an assist from our creativity that we're pretty clever people and we need to use the methods of man to make the Christian message more impressive, more powerful. And so we need someone who's a powerful messenger. Only then will the gospel work. We can't have just anyone do this. We need someone who's super eloquent and we can think that. That it's not the message that has power, it's the messenger. Or maybe it needs like theme music. And if we just had really emotionally engaging music, then the gospel's power would really work. Or maybe if, if we could entice people to come in and we had big inflatable waving arm men out there to really just draw people in, then, then the gospel's power would be unleashed because we would all hear it. Or maybe if we could do miracles and people could show up and we could just heal them, then they would see the gospel has power. Now, none of those things are necessarily wrong. Maybe the inflatable arm men, maybe that is. But we can think of them in ways that diminish the power of God. We can focus so much on the power of our methods that we fail to trust the power of the message. And what's so great about God putting His power in the message is that that means anyone can have that power. Anyone. See, we often think about the Gospel and preaching the Gospel as the exclusive territory of preachers like me. But to preach means to proclaim. And you can proclaim something one-to-one to a friend or family member. And so if you know the good news of Jesus, in a sense, you have the power of God. You have what God has given His power to in order to do great things. Yes, you may not have the ability to perform miraculous signs, but when you share the Gospel, you are sharing the power of God. A power that is not limited to pulpits on Sunday morning. It is not the exclusive property of ordained ministers. The power of God is entrusted to all people who know the good news of Jesus that we might go and share this powerful message. And so that's the first reason Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. He's like, this is, this is great stuff. This is the power of God. But the power of God to do what? To accomplish what? What does the gospel do When it is shared. Well, that's the second reason Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. That it is the power of God for salvation. Now, there we go. We got another churchy word there. Salvation. That salvation means a kind of rescue or deliverance. 
that someone who is in trouble or danger is saved out of that trouble or danger. And so maybe you're swimming in the pool and you're in over your head and you're tired and you're starting to drown. The lifeguard brings you salvation, delivering you from drowning and bringing you to safety. That is a kind of salvation. And so the gospel is the power of God to save us from danger. And one of the reasons we can be ashamed of the gospel is that we fail to believe the gospel saves us from real danger. That we are so concerned about other dangers in our world. Very real dangers. Our world is full of dangers and problems. And we think those are greater dangers. Just think about all the problems. There are political problems. There's corruption. There's greed. There's incompetence. There's social problems like immorality and injustice and selfishness. There's physical problems like sickness and poverty and violence. There's emotional problems like depression and grief and anxiety. There are so many problems that we want to be rescued from that we can be ashamed of the gospel because we think it doesn't save us from that. It doesn't save us from those things. And those are the things I want to be saved from. But the gospel saves us from our greatest problems. The problems of sin and death. And the Bible tells us that we have all sinned against a holy God who must, in His goodness, punish us for our sin. And in His justice and wisdom, the just punishment for sin is separation from God for eternity in hell. That we are all doomed to hell apart from the saving intervention of God. But thankfully, we have a God who saves And His power to save is the Gospel. And so the Gospel is good news because it is the power to save us in Christ from our sins so that we are rescued from God's wrath and from hell. Our New Testament reading from Mark 8 showed us a little bit about this. That Jesus asked Peter, hey, who do you think I am? And Peter got the answer right. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one who's going to save us. But then Jesus started talking about, well, I'm going to be a Messiah who suffers, is rejected, is executed, and all of this. And that's not Peter's idea. Peter is thinking, I need a hero. I need someone who's going to come riding in on the horse and give us the rousing speech to the army and overthrow the enemy and be a king and restore Israel to power. That's, those are the problems I want fixed. And Jesus challenged and rebuked him because Peter was offended and ashamed that Jesus wasn't coming to fix those problems. He was coming to fix other problems that he didn't think were as big of a problem. Jesus says nothing is more valuable than our souls. And the greatest threats, the greatest dangers to our souls are sin and death. And so Jesus came to conquer those enemies, to save us from those enemies. And He did so through a sacrificial death. You see, we're often ashamed of the Gospel because we don't think the biggest problem in the world is sin. We see so many other problems and think those are the big problems. But if you don't think sin is the biggest problem in the world, 
then take a minute to think of the problems that are the biggest ones and see how their root cause is sin. Whether it's poverty, racism, injustice, violence, division, hatred, all because of sin. And even those problems that don't seem directly caused by sin, like natural disasters that we've heard about recently, or sickness and cancer and grief and anxiety, those all entered God's good creation because of the first sin. And so we do not need to be ashamed of the Gospel because it tells us that God sent His Son to save us from our greatest problems of sin and death. And so Paul is saying the Gospel is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation. And then he gives us the third reason he is not ashamed of the Gospel. That it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. It is a beautiful short statement of the inclusive and exclusive nature of the Gospel. Because the good news of Jesus is literally for everyone. Nobody is unwelcome. Everyone can come on into Jesus. Everyone. Every single Muslim in the world is welcome to repent and be like, you know what? I'm trusting Jesus now. Come on in. We'd love to have you. Every single inmate in every maximum security prison in the world, come on into church. Like maybe that church, but you know, like you're welcome. Come to Jesus. Come on in. Find forgiveness in Christ. Every single citizen of China, of California, of Cleveland, everyone is welcome in Jesus. No one is excluded. It is wonderfully inclusive. It is good news for all people. But the gospel is for everyone who believes. And so in that way, it is exclusive. So it is open and inclusive to all people, but it is also, in a sense, exclusive concerning how we receive it. That we must believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. The only way to share in the victory and blessings that Christ has secured through His life, death, and resurrection is through believing and trusting in Him. It is open to all, all who believe. And so we can be ashamed of that. We really want to emphasize the all, but we struggle with the narrow part that you must believe. That tells us, first, from the, the, the Jew and Greek part, that would have included all people. I know a lot of us here are probably neither Jewish nor Greek, or at least don't think of us in that way, but that's how they viewed the world. You were either Jewish or you were Greek. They, you know, they didn't really have the American Indians in their mind or other people in their mind. That, that was kind of the world to them. And so we all fall in there. And so for the Jews, it means you don't inherit salvation. Just because you were born Jewish to Jewish parents didn't automatically give you all of the blessings of salvation. And in the same way, children who grow up in the church are not saved because they have Christian parents. They are not saved because they were baptized as infants. 
They are not saved because they grew up going to Sunday school and vacation Bible school. The way we are saved is believing in Jesus. We're going to be looking at this more in our adult Sunday school class this fall, talking about how it is possible for people to grow up in church, to go to church, to even know about Jesus and still not believe in Jesus. That we must believe in Jesus. And so this helps us not to be ashamed. Because we can be ashamed that we are asking people to, to do something. We're asking someone who has gone to church their whole lives, who has put money in the offering plate, who has helped other people, who thinks of themselves as a good person, and we're saying, all that that you really are proud of, that's not going to cut it. You've got to believe in Jesus. You actually have to take all of that good stuff that you love, and you've got to just put it over here. And all you've got to say is the only thing that saves me is that guy on the cross. That guy who lived, died, and rose again for me. He's the only one. Not all this other stuff that I like, that I've done. And we can be ashamed of that message. And having to tell people we know and love who think of themselves as good people and who we think of as good people that you must believe in Jesus. Because when the book of our salvation is written, there is no co-author. It is not written by Jesus Christ with help from Eric Tui. No, it is solo-authored. By Jesus, our salvation. We don't get to assist. We don't get partial credit. And so for the Jews, for those who grow up in the faith, he is saying it is shameful in a sense to give up what we think of as goodness. But for the Greeks, it's shameful in another way. It's saying all of your, your culture, all of this stuff that you think makes you unique and different, all of this stuff you believe, it's false and it's wrong. And well, that's not very nice and tolerant of other people to say that to them. That, that only this Jesus guy is real, and I'm sorry you can't meet him, he's in heaven right now, and I don't have video evidence of his life, death, or resurrection, though that would be fun to put on YouTube. I don't have any of that for you, but he did live 2,000 years ago in a place far, far away, speaking a language different from us, and he's the only one that can save anyone from any part in the world, and that can make us ashamed. Because again, that sounds very exclusive. And yet it is also, it's literally open to all. And so for the Greeks who worshipped all sorts of gods and considered themselves the most multicultural and tolerant of people, they struggled with this, you're saying it's only Jesus. And Paul's like, yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? Anyone can have it. And that's what's so wonderful about belief. Anyone can believe. It's not some list of 100 rules to follow and five pilgrimages to accomplish and days of fasting you must do. You don't have to go to seminary for 10 years in order to assure yourself that you go to salvation. You don't have to study everything in the Bible and know all the stories. You don't have to know everything there is to know about God. Believing the gospel is easy enough our kids can do it. That we want our kids to believe it. In fact, it shouldn't take much longer than five minutes to explain at least the very basics of what the Gospel is. And all we are called to do is trust in what Jesus has done. To understand and accept that He is the one who has accomplished our salvation and the only part we play is essentially saying, I'm holding on to you. Because you're the one who has done it. And so Paul says he is not ashamed of the Gospel because it is for everyone who believes. 
The fourth reason then that Paul gives for why we should not be ashamed of the Gospels found in verse 14. And it's one of those verses that you're like, boy, that sure sounds churchy. That sure sounds like it says something. I wouldn't want to have to say what it says, but I guess that's my job today. And so verse 17 says this, For in it, that is the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so that quotation is from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. You're welcome to read that if you want. It doesn't seem to fit, and yet this idea that those who are righteous live by their faith is clear throughout Scripture. But what I want us to see here is this word that Tim talked about with the kids' righteousness. To be righteous is to be morally right. It is to be completely and totally in the right. And as churchy as the word righteousness sounds, it is a word that our world loves. They may not use that word, but our world loves to be righteous right now. See, in our world, and especially in our nation today, we live in a very polarized world where two different groups of people have made their own standard of righteousness that they believe they meet. And the others on the other side have set up a false system of righteousness and they don't meet true righteousness. And each of us are confident and assured that we are righteous and they are not. But here's the thing. Even if we set up our own standard of righteousness, our own sub-standard of righteousness that we think we can meet, no one meets their own standard. No matter how, no matter how low you set the bar, no one meets their own standard of righteousness. And all it does is turn us into self-righteous people. And so what Paul is saying is this righteousness that we so desire, true, real righteousness is found in the Gospel. For in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. We see what real righteousness is. That God took on human flesh and lived a perfectly righteous life among us. That we see Jesus living a sinless life, acting with grace and truth in all He does. And in His death, we see the righteousness of God. We see God's righteous wrath against sin, that you must punish evil if you are good. And so He is punishing the evil of sin in perfect justice, condemning our sin. But at the same time, we see the righteousness of mercy. That we know that if you are only just and don't show any mercy or love, then you're just cruel and hard. And so God upholds mercy and love and compassion as Christ dies in our place. And we see the innocence of Jesus vindicated in the resurrection. God is showing us righteousness in the gospel. He shows it by upholding truth and showing compassion even to enemies. And God shows us this real righteousness so that we see how far short we fall of true righteousness. That was the leaders of Jesus' day. They fell into self-righteousness. They didn't have real righteousness. They knew they needed real righteousness. And so they tried to buy a counterfeit righteousness. 
They tried to do something that looked close enough, a facsimile, a fake righteousness. But God will not accept fake righteousness. God will not accept accept self-righteousness. God only accepts righteousness like His own. And the Gospel does not just show us His righteousness. He shows us how we can have His righteousness. And He says that way is by faith. It is through faith, through belief, through trust that we receive Jesus' righteousness. Because we don't just need to be saved from our sin. We need more than that. If we are only forgiven, we are left with a clean slate. And a clean slate is just a slate we haven't got dirty yet. We need something perfect and pure that is going to last. And so by faith, we are given the righteousness of Jesus. You see, on the cross, there's this beautiful exchange. Jesus, who lived with perfect righteousness, and us, who are completely sinful and deserving condemnation, Jesus took what we deserve. And so we are given what He has earned. So we're not just forgiven, but we are given the very righteousness of Jesus. This perfect righteousness by trusting in Him, we now get to wear, in a sense, the clothes of another. The righteous and pure garments of Jesus. And if they're that good, it means we never outgrow our need to wear them. Jesus doesn't loan us His righteousness and say, here you go. I'll let you wear mine for a few years until you feel you're righteous enough to take mine off and give it back and you can wear in your own. No! We can't do that. We need it all of our lives. We need the righteousness of Christ from today until the day we die. That it is only in that righteousness we can stand. And that's why he says it is from faith for faith. It is faith all the way through that we need to live this righteous life. So Paul tells us these four reasons here. He's telling us at the very beginning of his letter, I don't want you to be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of this good news. And why does he want us not to be ashamed? Because when we are unashamed of the good news, we are ready and willing to share it. So if you have your Bibles open, not your bulletins, apologies, bulletins aren't going to work, Bibles, verse 15, right before this, this is what Paul writes. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So Paul's lack of shame leads to an eagerness to to preach or proclaim the gospel. That if he's not embarrassed by it, He's willing to share about it. But you know this. If there's an embarrassing story about you from your past, you don't want to share it because it's embarrassing. We don't share what is embarrassing to us. But if we're not embarrassed by it, if we're not ashamed by it, we're willing to share it. We're willing to share it because it is the power of God For salvation to everyone who believes, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, many of you have been following Jesus for some time. Some of you are learning about following Jesus. But one of the the most frequent things I hear from people in our church and people who follow Jesus is I really struggle to talk to other people about Jesus. 
I know the Bible says I should tell people about Jesus. I should share my faith. I should tell other people about Jesus. I just really have a hard time because I'm nervous I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm worried I'm going to offend somebody. I'm embarrassed that I have to use the words sin and hell. And those seem so judgy. I'm worried people are going to look down on me. And I just feel like I'm going to be embarrassed the whole time. All of those are different forms of shame that we can feel about the Gospel. And so if you are struggling with any kind of shame or embarrassment about the good news of Jesus, spend some time in Paul's words in verses 16 and 17. See those reasons again and again that the good news is really good. Rejoice that the Gospel is God's power to save people. Give thanks that that power is for everyone who believes and that no one will outgrow it. Everyone needs to hear it, whether this is our first Sunday here or we've been here every Sunday for over six decades. We continue to need the Gospel because we never outgrow our need of the one the Gospel is about, Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, we pray that You would seal in us Your words today. That You would help remove any shame or embarrassment we feel about the good news of salvation. God, just take the scales off our eyes. Give us a clarity of vision to see the goodness of the Gospel and how it is good news for all people. Help us not to be fearful or worried about what will happen when we share it because really, the best thing that can happen is others would come to believe and so be saved from the greatest enemies anyone faces. And so God, we pray that the Gospel might go forth and be the power to save people in us and through us for Your glory. Amen.